Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. Out of the Pan with Sally, first broadcasting noon till one every Sunday afternoon, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Thanks for your company. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that the land was stolen and never ceded. And acknowledge on this show that sometimes, in fact frequently, the language can be more of a Western or Anglo-Saxon nature. However, today it is my pleasure to perhaps move a little bit um, to a, a more um, equal and equitable space on that because I've got two wonderful guests in the, I think it's fair to say, in the context of um, the current time period and current events. We are right at the end of um, World Refugee Week and the 20th of June each year is World Refugee Day and to talk about the issues to people who do awesome work on this issue and intersecting issues. Um, Tina Dixon, Tina, um, well, welcome back to the show for you because you have been on before. Thank you very much Sally for having me, it's always a pleasure to be back. And I would um, say that I use the pronouns she, her, and just checking in if it's okay to ask if you use any pronouns, which ones they are. Thanks, Ali. It's she, her for me. And Aslan, um, checking in with any... Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me as well, uh, Sally. Uh, I use he, her pronouns. Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. He, he, him? I use he, him, he, he, him pronouns. Cool. Just want to be doubly sure on that because we value all genders on this show, and well, I'll say want to value all forms of humanity with dignity and respect. But the hard reality is that we know that um, refugees um, don't often get that, or not certainly not often enough. And that's what I wanted to talk to you both about in this time. And it's you know it's sort of where where do we start? Um, perhaps. I might do something um, get, and, you know, both of you chip in as needed. Um, how would you do, is there a definition of a refugee? Because sometimes that could be even um, something people haven't thought about. I think in the context, especially of LGBTIQ refugees, it's really um, important that people understand that in many contexts, a person can become a refugee for simply being who they are, for simply mm-hmm. being an LGBTIQ person and loving mm-hmm. who they love. If we look at the definition by the convention, we're talking about persecution and violence that is inflicted because of your political opinion or you're escaping um, warlike conflict or um, you belonging to social group um, or you're persecuted by your race um, or ethnicity or religion. But very often people forget that sometimes for LGBTQ people, it is simply the fact that they exist and they alive and they love somebody they can endure a huge amount of violence, um, not only from the state or discriminatory legislation, but very often from their parents' um, circles, their friends, and at the end there is nobody there who can protect you, and very often the only solution for you to survive is to actually flee the country. Yeah. Aslan, um, you know, would you like to perhaps flesh that out a bit more, um, go, go a little further with that? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, like, uh, Tina has mentioned about refugees based on, like, the, the legal aspects. Uh, so, people, like, refugees are normally people who are 
to have fled their country uh, due to persecution. But I think on a more uh, simplistic terms or like conventional terms within you know everyday life, I think uh, most people would just have the understanding that you know these are refugees, are people who have let, fled war or disaster, um, maybe due to political or sexual reasons. But then um, uh, a lot of their definition of understanding of who refugee are can be limited to that only. I mean, like there are people who come here as migrants first, or people who become here from uh, as international students, and then they actually have to uh, apply for protection. So, but I think to most people, they don't consider these people as as asylum seekers or refugees, because they, in their imagination, is only people who are escaping war or disaster. That's that's a good point. They, I think that there probably can be a degree of unconscious bias for a lot of people who hadn't thought about that. I mean, we do, you know, look at, um, you know, for example, going back to the 1970s, people um, fleeing Vietnam were probably a well-known you know, well example in this country of who would fit the more expected definition. But you're quite right. If someone's facing persecution for who they are, you know, totally, it's something that perhaps we you know, need to be clear of and probably many authorities um, you know, perhaps haven't considered and many people in the public. So it's a, it's a good point. Let's, it might seem in, incredibly obvious, but, um, you know, and, you know, either from any personal experience you have each or from the stories you've heard, um, you know, anything that you want to talk about, about, you know, the details and probably acknowledging that there could be content warnings in this part of the conversation and other parts in terms of mental health, um, possible descriptions of violence, racism and similar. Um, what are the sort of things, what are the sort of stories you have? I think that um, whether it's your own or others you've heard, and I realise, again, it could be difficult. I don't want to traumatise or re-traumatise either of you, but I think that sometimes people maybe may not quite understand the sort of issues that LGBTIQA plus refugees might face. Absolutely. Um, maybe if I talk about um, queer women's experiences, and I use queer in a very broad um, sense mm -hmm. of the term, um, based on the research, but also on women we work with, what we're seeing is a big extent of um, sexual and gender-based violence that is driven by gendered factors, you know, in, mm -hmm. in particular countries, but also by those homophobic or transphobic factors when, um, for example, a family arranges a forced marriage for the woman when they realize that she is queer or that she has the same sex relationships. And for them, a way to normalize that, you know, a way to push her back into their patriarchal norm is for her to be married to a man. Um, you know, we, we've seen and there's a lot of women who, um, for example, have children and, and then fled to Australia and that very limited understanding here from decision makers sometimes impact on their cases because they think if you did have marriage in the past, which was heterosexual marriage, you know, that there's a doubt casting you whether you are queer or not. For people who are human rights defenders, there is a lot of state violence involved a lot of surveillance, police tracking, abuse from police as well, um, and different forms of torture. Um, but sometimes, even in the absence of any legislation that criminalizes your sexuality, it is an impossibility to live your life in safety, freedom, and dignity. It is an impossibility to be protected, to be an equal before the law. 
um, it is alive in hiding and um, sometimes even in hiding from your family. And when you have no equal opportunities for lives and you actually have the proximity of violence all the time, this is also what sometimes drives people to seek safety. Yeah. Oh, gosh, absolutely. I mean, a sense of not having a sense of freedom to try to be yourself, achieve your potential just at the most basic levels, you know, is, um, you know, something that perhaps many of us <clears throat> who have freer lives simply cannot imagine and people, you know, will go to, well, to, to an outsider what appears to be great lengths to do um, you know, to looking at a refugee, oh, why would someone really, you know, risk, you know, do all that? Well, and it's almost anything's got to be better than where you are and not have that true freedom. Aslan, what um, thoughts um, do you want to throw in there? Yeah, I mean, I could just mention about how, I mean, like, like what Gina was saying, like for some countries, um, being queer can actually mean, can actually mean uh, life imprisonment or even death, a death sentence. But in some countries, um, the law may not be so, so clear. I mean, you, you would say that homosexuality is uh, illegal, but people might say that it's not really fully enforced. Um, but, you know, when it comes to seeking protection, that is a valid enough reason, obviously. But for other people who may pass judgment saying that, oh, I know this country is not that bad, you know, what they don't seem to realize is that society, you, you, still, you still live in a society. It doesn't necessarily mean that your family would be, uh, would escape any attacks or harassment because they have a, a, a son or a daughter or whatever who is an out queer person. You know, it's still, it's still kind of like dangerous for them. So like, so a lot of people who may not understand saying that I don't see what's a big deal. You can probably still live a proper life. You might have to be closeted, you know, these are the kind of statements of people who obviously don't realize the freedom that they have in their, in their, in their country and, and also their straight privilege. So mm. it's kind of disheartening to hear people saying stuff like that to um, asylum seekers or refugees that they meet. Hope where there was none 
because of you. Get in my boat. He's a beautiful. Get in my boat. He knows. Watch out for the greed merchants. They are the ones with no honor and no conscience. And if you let them, they'll destroy us and themselves. I don't let them know. I don't let them know what they don't understand. They have no business, no business with this land. 'Cause they're in my boat. He said so. Watch out for the greed merchants. They be taking dirty title out from under your feet. It's the biggest land grab you've ever seen. I will not let them. I won't let them do what they don't understand. No business, no business with this land. 'Cause they're in my boat. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people, and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion, and it began 250 years ago this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed but we understand what freedom is and we fight for it every day and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Yeah, no, very, 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 we'll say unempathic if people would say that. So, I mean, you know, to put a, 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 compa- a comparatively smaller example, I know that you know, trying to live as the gender and sexual and romantic orientation that I wasn't for 20, 29 and a half years, even in a relatively progressive city like Melbourne, Australia, was hard enough. And I can't imagine what it would be like if, you know, police were, you know, sort of on, on your, t- you know, sort of really on your back or um, on your family's back and almost you know, sort of um, intimidating them for just for who you are as well. So, you know, <clears throat> you know, whatever I went through would be, you know, infinitely magnified. And, you know, it's something that hopefully people can understand. Um, so I, it's a, I wanted to bring up the issue, if it's okay, of what 
newly arrived people in Australia might have to deal with in terms of authorities to get um, some degree of <clears throat> permanent residency and or citizenship in Australia. We hear um, some of the evidence that emerges from those stories. Perhaps if you would want to talk about that, um, that issue, both of you, and um, sort of the things that go on there. Um, I think in Australia, migration law is um, migration law discriminates people by the mode of their arrival. Um, and so we've had people, for example, those who come to Australia by plane um, with a visa, any visa, they're able to progress to permanent residency and then later on to citizenship. And those people who arrive by boat um, in 2012 and 2013, or those people who do arrive to Australia without a visa and claim asylum um, in the airport, those people are unfairly penalised and they can only apply for temporary protection for three years or five years. And citizenships, uh, pathways to citizenships are almost impossible. Wow. There's a question that um, the access first and foremost for the legal, free legal assistance um, we have great specialists in refugee legal services that remain critically underfunded. Those people who are actually experts to provide you legal assistance and representations because the application form for protection visa is a complex legal document that makes you not only recall every address you've had for the last 10 years and every you know, country you visited for the last 10 years, but also to write your personal story of violence and trauma in a very legalistic way. The way how migration system operates is that the onus to present all evidence is on you. And what, for example, I've seen with people, they go to the interview, they feel really scared to disclose that they're queer. And for example, they will be talking about a lot of signs that you would understand that they were queer because how they performed themselves or the way how they were dressing and having haircuts and things like that. But decision makers cannot ask, so what are you telling me? Are you gay? And so if people are not saying that, and many people are really scared to say that and in the interview because there's a huge distrust to authority, it actually disadvantages them and they may get a rejection. Um, and so the access to that legal advice remains crucial. And then, of course, we need to have a training for immigration decision makers because we still see really different cases there is no compulsory training for the department of home affairs and we see you know some decision makers being very aware of the issue in the way how they use language in a way how they you know describe the, the decisions and some are absolutely not and that creates really unfair outcomes um, in terms of citizenship i think um, once you have a refugee visa it's actually um, difficult I mean, some people are eligible, you know, those who did have permanent protection visas, but it takes years and years. And on my personal example, with Renee, we applied as a family and we were separated by two decision makers for citizenship case. And we were told throughout the whole process that Australia does not look at families together during citizenship. And then when I had my interview, every single person before me getting um, citizenship were heterosexual families and I was the only one and we had to do our ceremony seven months apart. So we still kind of have a, you know, a big process there for decision makers to even recognize that same-sex families exist. Well, there's a lot in there. Before I go to you, Asan, I mean, I, ha I have to say for starters, for anyone, you know, remembering your names and address, sorry, your addresses for the last seven years, if you've been 
on the run um, from a horrible government in any situation or from some degree of persecution, it's hardly likely you're going to be able to carry around a diary or a list of, well, I was here from this state to that state at this street number, whatever, whatever. That's just, you know, almost beyond beggar's belief as well, that it has to be like that. And I don't, I don't even see what the point of it is, to be perfectly honest. Um, but, you know, also, you know, no one wants to have to, you know, have a retell a, retell a traumatising story, but then not have the pain acknowledged because, as you said, it's in a legalistic way, so that's inhuman. And then you've got this, you know, vicious circle of you don't want to, people don't trust the authorities because they're gay and it's potluck whether you get someone who's empathic and respectful um, in terms of sex, sexuality and gender. It's, um, it, it's almost hard, you know, it's almost defies decency. Oh, I mean, it does. Um, and I can I can only just sort of say that I think any decent human must be listening to this must be going well. I can't imagine. I probably can't if I can be just put a touch of dry humour. I don't really want to repeat what they'd be saying. Um, Aslan, again, your thoughts on the these processes? Anything you'd like to add? Expand on on all of that? I mean, I think I know what you're referring to when it comes to particularly about meeting the decision makers who are aware, um, you know, asking the right questions, are, are sensitive to the, the, the nature of the cases. Uh, but we have also hear, heard like horror stories where some tribunal member asking whether they know the songs, to, you know, lyrics to Madonna or whatever as a, mm. as a way to prove whether someone is gay or not. So those are the horror stories that we've heard before. Yeah. I don't know whether that, that has changed. Hopefully they have. Um, I was lucky in that sense that I think my tribunal member was was yeah reasonable and and, and obviously gave a good decision on my part. Um, I think some of the things that I want to talk about the process is about also like support services. Like I I am actually a part of a group a social group that meets like once a month. So it's a it's a group of new newly arrived migrants, uh, refugees, and a science called uh, it's called Bridge Mill. And uh, we still hear people coming in and, and telling us that they don't know where to go to to get support, like legal advice uh, or where to go for, you know, mental health services or whatever. It's like a lot of people may go to some refugee organization, but then maybe they don't reveal that they're queer or stuff like that. Um, so, for example, if they wanted to go to, to get uh, health services for like uh, if they're trans, for example, so they might necessarily be directed to those kind of services. So I feel that there's a gap in that sense where asylum seekers and refugees can go or get the right information rather than spending months in the country and not knowing where to go and where to get help. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other also issue is that, and this has been this has been documented, is that. Uh, a lot of refugee organizations um, may not know the best way to deal with their clients or members who are LGBTI. And likewise, um, LGBT organizations don't know exactly how to provide support for refugee asylum seekers. And this thing has been going on for years now, and I, I still don't understand why there hasn't been like uh, coordination between these two groups, uh, why there isn't a push to provide better support for, for these groups because um, I would say that scientists and refugees are among the most marginalized um, communities in the country and yet um, this gap is not being filled.
really we are you know we sometimes hear of um i you know i'm thinking of issues that might come up for people who are queer with any disability or disabilities and we seem to be doing bits of work there you know obviously slow progress on you know getting that intersection right yet it is um well disappointing to put it mildly that we're not doing the same for 
um, queer refugees. So that le leads me to two questions for both of you, or two parts to the one question: <clears throat> What service um, provide? What can service providers do? And is there an organisation that works to do intersectional training in this area? Um, that um, you know, and are there? If you feel comfortable to ask, perhaps a third part: Are there service providers? I'll focus for this interview on Victoria, but we'll make sure we put links up with the podcast and similar um, for services and the group you mentioned. Um, you know, sort of, there's a bit in there. So service providers, what can they do? Any good ones? And um, uh, is there training that service um, you, that someone offers to service providers so they can keep improving? Thanks for that. And I just wanted to, um, thinking about what service providers can do, um, I'll make you an example to show um, those gaps that exist. So for example, um, I was researching if there was any database that would talk how trans people can change their names and gender markers by state and territory. Um, so we could um, do that to give those resources to our members. And any available resources would always assume that you have Australian birth certificate. Uh, and that poses a challenge because in different states, you know, you would have different residency requirements in terms of how long you live there or what types of documents are needed. For many people, passports have already expired and being refugees, they cannot apply for the same passport in the embassy. And I think it's those things that some services miss, like a visa status, because visa status governs your whole life. It creates this whole pathway where you're eligible for, what you can do, where you can be even though on the surface it appears that every service should be accessible to every person. But for those bigger things, um, those eligibility criteria exist and a lack of that information is really difficult to navigate new systems. So I think for what services can do is to start with, to acknowledge publicly that LGBTQ refugees exist. And one of the ways to do that is um, in December last year at the Kuwait Displacement Conference, we produced the Canberra Statement. This is a policy guide that um, explains to people on the challenges, the intersectional challenges that LGBTIQ refugees experience and also outlines some of the um, high-level solutions. And so those organizations who affirm it, and at the moment we have over 70 organizations from nine countries who sign up to it, they make the public acknowledgement that this group exists and we need to make sure that our service provision is responsive. They also need to consult with the groups and they also need not just to consult, but co-design and hire those people to deliver those programs. We see somewhere programs popping up that are led um, maybe by queer people, but they're from Anglo-Saxon background, people who maybe not have the same knowledge of what displacement journey means. And I think that work has to be driven um, by the community. Um, I think there should be way more resourcing for the LGBTQ refugee-led initiatives. As I mentioned, Bridge Mills, um, we've got Queer Sisterhood Project, we've got a newly registered forcibly displaced people network, which um, works with LGBTQ plus people who've been forcibly displaced um, around Australia. We've got groups in Sydney, we've got groups in Brisbane, there is lots of activity um, out there that needs to be supported. Um, to your question about the training, um, 
forcibly displaced people network is in a position to offer that um, and to offer tailored content for various types of organizations um, whether we're talking about settlement services or we're talking about organizations within lgbtq plus umbrella or health services we've done this um, professional development sessions previously and we are the lgbtq refugee-led organization that draws extensively on the expertise and the lived experience um, so you know we we can totally do that um for people um i'll leave it to Azan to talk about um services in particular in victoria because um this is where i think you're better positioned yeah um i'm just going to give a shout out i suppose to the asylum seekers center in sydney uh, as far as i know they're the only organization that actually has a dedicated space for queer asylum seekers and refugees and that is something that I don't think exists in Victoria yet. Um, from my understanding, there was a, a short time at Asylum Seeker Resource Center that they did try to set up a support group for queer refugees and asylum seekers, but that is not happening at the moment. At the moment. Um, and uh, from my understanding, it hasn't been um, pursued yet. Um, I do know that Rise Refugee had done a event maybe last year or two years ago and they're hoping to provide support services for queer refugees uh, and asylum seekers but other than that i don't i'm not aware of any other, other stuff and for example like bridge meals it was just a um, we're relying on funds um that we got from before from i don't know uh i remember at the moment but yeah it's not an it's not an organization so there's not a lot of funds so every Every season, we actually probably have to to apply it again and again. So, where else there should be funding that's provided for us um, to make sure that we ensure providing support, social support for this particular group. Um, is there anything? Is there anything else? If I may, if I may add, I think what Asan points out with not being sure whether those projects exist shows a bigger systemic issue that many refugee organizations that are not led by refugees assume that LGBTIQ identity is a very private issue and they should not be talking about it publicly. Sometimes we do hear about different projects, but the access to those things are very um, closeted in a way. You know, there is a confidentiality around it. It all gets to be presented that the organization cares about safety of members and the information never appears publicly. What it actually does in real life, it sends a message back that you have to be hiding who you are. I think the organizations have to make a very clear public stance that LGBTQ people exist. And LGBTQ people existed across all cultures, all societies throughout the history. This is nothing new. This is not imposed by the West. And I think, you know, unless every single organization in the space take that stance, we're not going to achieve better outcomes for this particular group. The last thing then that flows off um, what service providers do is what can, I'll say, people from, in simple terms, the general public, particularly LGBTIQA plus people who are, well, or I'll say, you know, resident in Australia, what can people do to be allies in this situation? What would be some practical things that people can do that would be beneficial um, in, well, for, from your point of view, if you could... Um, benignly control people um, in this space, what would you like people to do? Um, I would probably say um, 
couple of things. One is educate yourself on the plight of LGBTQ refugees. Um, there is coming up more and more resources. You can follow Forcibly Displaced People Network um, on all social media. There is a lot of articles in the media to know that this group exists and we have to be attentive to those experiences. Number two, I think people need to learn how to be better in lies, allies in terms of the solidarity with us. There is a lot of advocacy that is getting driven by refugees in Australia. And I think we need to be supported in those efforts, but people need to stand next to us and not speak on our behalf. Um, I would also say about stories, we need to understand that the LGBTQ story of forced displacement is a source of knowledge but it is also a traumatic experience. Mm. And so it's really inappropriate when you are at the dinner party, for example, and somebody tells me, so what happened to you? And you know, what do you tell in that circumstances? I think we have to respect that people who've experienced forced displacement have a right to choose when they disclose those experiences, how and to what extent. And lastly, I think that, you know, whether you are an LGBTQ person, it, um, or any other member of society, or you, you know, you care for particular social justice causes, everything is intertwined. We won't be able to achieve, for example, gender equality without trans women's rights, without refugee rights. You know, won't be able to combat racism without the self-determination for indigenous people. We all have to be in this together. This is the same for LGBTQ refugees. We're not asking for anything special. We're asking for inclusive society where every single person can enjoy that freedom and dignity. Aslan, your thoughts? Well, I think one of the most important thing is, um, I think, like I said, a lot of people have very un limited understanding of what a refugee is and exactly what have they gone through. And I think people need to remind, remind themselves that refugees and scientists are not the same as their fellow mig like their friends who are migrants. And you have to understand that refugees actually did experience trauma in the process of arriving in Australia or, or whatever. And, and that when you're dealing with somebody who is with a trauma refugee background or seeking asylum, that you have to have that awareness and empathy and compassion. And to, I don't know, I don't know what's the word. I mean, like, to actually have that sensitivity, you know? And, and that, I mean, that might affect the way that you work with them or you communicate with them. And that um, you're more patient with them, you know? I mean, that's how I work with my fellow refugees as well. It's like, I'm always there to make sure that I'm there to support them because I'm aware of what they've been through or if they're hesitant to share certain stuff. I mean, like, you kind of like, you have to be a bit patient, but also persistent to find out what's, what's bothering them because a lot of us hold a lot of pain and trauma. So we actually have to build those relationships and to care for them rather than just saying, oh, this is my cool refugee friend. You know, they have an interesting opinion about something and then you kind of leave them to their own devices you know um and i actually want to mention this could be something um, quite triggering but uh there was distressing news uh, earlier this week where there was a, a refugee who had actually taken her life and i think for some of mm -hmm. us we kind of feel have an understanding of how that could happen because we may not necessarily have those social support and it's actually quite vital for people to actually check in with people who have gone through this kind of trauma and realize that we actually may need a bit more help and support. Yeah, no, I did read about that 
story of someone originally, <clears throat> excuse me, from Egypt in Canada, um, and you know, incredibly sad that there is just that length, depth, and breadth of trauma that even with freedom, unfortunately, not able to overcome that. May may she very much rest peacefully um, from now. Look, um, Tina and Aslan, I think you you know what you've put across is incredibly powerful. It's sobering and very, I think, practical as well in terms of what you've said for service providers and the broader public um, in terms of allyship. I can only just wish you, thank you for the work that you both do. It is it is noted and, you know, people, um, I think, are very aware of what you do and people who work in a similar um, particular area are doing and I think it takes enormous dedication and, um, now, I think also there's a lot of people who want to do the right thing. Maybe they just don't know what it is. So I hope very much that people who hear this show um, today will be able to take something from that. And I do want to acknowledge, by the way, the work done um, by um, Queering the Air on 3CR and In Your Face in this area as well. And I hope that we can all keep doing more um, to achieve the equity that you all deserve. So once again, huge, 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 huge thank yous for your time on Out of the Pan today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Sally. Outside the dogs are barking And the morning sun is breaking through the trees My heart is feeling heavy As I listen to the morning of the breeze Knocking your baby I really don't want to leave There's a ticket in my pocket But I'd toss it if I only had my way And a suitcase in the hallway I wish I could unpack it now and stay Knocking ya, baby, I'm gonna be back someday Knocking ya Don't it go to show What a man don't know Knocking ya Knocking ya, baby, I really don't wanna go Land was once a river I hate to see it slow Bleeding dry My love is like an eagle and High across the valley She will fly Knocking ya baby I'll see you by and by Knocking ya What a man don't know Knocking ya Knocking ya baby I really don't want to go
was starting, I think what we've seen that any pre-existing inequality and discrimination was actually really heightened during the pandemic. For LGBTQ people seeking asylum, the differences were in the fact that as any other asylum seekers, they are on bridging visas. And it is really difficult to find employment on a bridging visa. A lot of LGBTQ people seeking asylum are not eligible for Medicare. And so in situations before when they were able to work and had any specific medical needs, now there was no jobs anymore. People seeking asylum are not eligible for any government income support. And so for many that men they cannot meet their health needs at all. Tricia, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. There it is, a great interview on the issues of queer refugees as part of Refugee Week and as we go to air, Refugee, World Refugee Day yesterday. Thanks to Tina and Aslan for their great work and they also hosted a great webinar during the week um, which kept people informed on all of the issues. I want to just give a quick mention to the music we've played today. We opened way back at the start of the show with Spy vs. Spy all over the world. Eddie Marbo um, by Neil Murray, um, the Midnight Oil and Warakana, um, Paul Kelly and Nakanya. We're going to close today with Solid Rock in a minute. But have got to mention that, um, of course, 3CR is still in its station appeal. Um, get that donation in before 30th of June and um, tell Frydenberg to, I don't know, um, go and burger himself or something, uh, because you can get a tax deduction and no doubt donations of $2 or more are tax deductible to 3CR. And I've got to say, I'm blown away by the generosity of our listeners in this time that we have managed to raise money to keep the station um, rolling to some extent. Normally, of course, at this time of year, in fact, this very show would probably be uh, radiothon time, but um, at the moment, not quite possible. Um, so the fact that so many 3CR listeners are not, you know, sort of, well, rich, straight men, so to speak, but some might be. If you are, we'll, love, we'll take your money seriously. It is so important that we um, can contribute to the station appeal. So hop onto our website, 3cr.org.au, and please donate. So, so important that we acknowledge all the diversity. also want to acknowledge during the week that uh, Monday the 15th of June, um, the 15th each year is World Elder Abuse Awareness Day and of course older people deserve our respect and for the interests of this program 
so do LGBTI elders as well. So there is just so much going on. It is important that we acknowledge all of diversity, but I hope that today in these times of the last four weeks as issues have developed around the world, that we acknowledge our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, people of colour and refugees, who often, of course, do not, sadly, and unjust, but unjustly, get a fair go. Uh, have another great interview on a similar note next week. That's all I'll say for now. Just want to say, um, again, thank you to Tina and Aslan for the work that they do and their time today in coming on the show. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'll say we, as I said, we've taken it out with Goanna and Solid Rock. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.